welcome to Nerds of the Round Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Dwayne. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sammy. And this week, I'm leading off because I picked the movie. Guys, <clears throat> we just passed a very important day. Remember, remember the 5th of November. V for Vendetta, uh, adaptation from a comic by Alan Moore by the Wachowskis. And who else was on this thing? Directed by, oh yeah, Mr. McTeague. Uh, I remember us just having that discussion. Guys, for all the revolutionaries. So 2005, that was an interesting era for movies. This was sort of like post-Matrix. A lot, it was a lot of that sort of... Um, yeah, interesting, like, you know, because there's some, like, the action scenes here kind of have that little bit of that feel. You know, that was, like, kind of desaturated look to the movie. So, I mean, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to getting into it. You know, I think what, what I find interesting, especially after we talked about Constantine last week, and then now we've got, you know, V this week, and we're in that 2005-2006 range. It's almost like they were digging through the back catalogs try to say, okay, what could we do next? What could we do next? What could, what, what could fit the feel that we're putting into these movies right now at this moment? So I think it's an interesting snapshot in the movie history. Yeah. You had a lot of casting, you know, about with the comics, uh, some of these, you know, like this is a vertigo comic. I know, uh, you know, you had uh, some other things flying around at this time, but uh, very, like I said, very visually interesting coming out of, you know that that matrix error, uh, trying to find the the heroes, antiheroes, and whatnot. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right, now I'm leading off, and I'm kind of glad I'm leading off. Uh, uh, my keeping 100 is very fresh, very very fresh. Just got home from the movie theater about an hour and a half ago from watching The Eternals. Very, very interesting. I missed Shang-Chi uh, in the theater, and I really hate that. I, I wonder how, if any connection this would have. I know uh, this uh, takes that celestial, uh, eternal view and really tries to meld it to our heroes we have here on Earth. And I, I really, they've done a really good job. They really had a well-developed story and of course, I mean, it's Marvel, so you're going to have some great effects, some great fight scenes, and you know, a couple little twists that I wasn't expecting. So that's my keeping it 100, uh, The Eternals. Nice. <laughs> on the upside, Song Chi will be on Disney Plus Friday the 12th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't have very long to wait. Great. Nope. One more week. All right, gentlemen. So so before I start mine, I, I just have to do something very quickly, okay? <laughs> All right. If you know what that sound is, then you know the doctor is back for an all-new, all-different adventure for Series 13, titled Doctor Who Flux. I don't know yet. Series 13 is definitely more wibbly-wobbly than usual, with this new venture actually being a six-part miniseries event. So Jodie Whittaker returns for her final trip in the TARDIS, at least counting also the three specials following Flux. But 
chapter one alone, we're given teases, dangling plot threads, and hopefully we'll get those answered by the final chapter. But face it, one episode, we got two new adversaries. They brought back Santarans and Weeping Angels. They debuted a new alien species called the Lepari, an anthropomorphic race of dog people, (laughs) and introduced a new companion. So that's a spectacle for any doctor or showrunner. Um, I think the biggest thing I'm interested to see if serialized storytelling is going to start becoming more the norm for Doctor Who, especially with uh, the next doctor and Russell T. Davies coming back as showrunner. But I guess only uh, time will tell. But that's why Doctor Who Flux makes my Keeping It 100 this week. I love it when Sammy gets excited about something he's (laughs) passionate about and gets all tongue-tied. I know. (laughs) I've been excited all week. I've watched the episode twice. I need to watch it a third time. The second episode's on, like, right now as we're speaking. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm impressed with your commitment to the podcast. (laughs) Hey, you know, my my, my friends come first. (laughs) I've got to get caught up. I'm... I have fallen off the Who bandwagon, and I've got to get back on. Um, I'm also stalling because my week was insane, and I don't have a great Keeping 100. This might even be a rehash, and so <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Start my timer now. Um, so on the 24th of this month, um, Hawkeye is coming out on Disney+. And um, I wasn't the hugest fan of Jerry Rimmer, Jeremy Renner's casting as Hawkeye originally, but I have definitely warmed up. Uh, the longer we've gone on, I've, I have warmed up to his version of Hawkeye. Even though the lovable loser who messes up every relationship in his life in the comics seems to have a functioning family somehow. Very different take on on Hawkeye. But the trailer for the TV show has very much all like a tons of echoes of the Matt Fraction uh, four volume run on Hawkeye in the comics. Um, I mean. <laughs> The bros, I mean, all of it. The, the tracksuit Draculas, the whole deal. Um, and so what I'm, what I'm recommending this time, I'm keeping 100, is heading online. If you've got an Amazon Prime subscription or if you have a Comixology subscription, the first two volumes of the Fraction Run, that is the primary inspiration for the series that's getting ready to drop, um, they're both available for, for just for free borrowing there. So I would definitely recommend heading in, grabbing those first two volumes, getting your feet wet, and getting excited. And getting a, a feel for what the, the vibe of this show is going to be. So I'm recommending Hawkeye Volumes 1 and 2. And that is my keeping it 100. Awesome. Nice. I'm excited for that series to come out. Really, and I'm about 50% truly. sure I've already recommended the Fraction Hawkeye series. <laughs> I'll keep it 100 before. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, if you think about it, you know, you guys over on Graphically Novel are, are talking about that series right now also. So, I mean... You're, you're revisiting all of it. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. And some of it I remembered very well and some of it I, I didn't. And so it's, it's been, it's been an interesting reread. Mm. No, nice, nice. Well, I know earlier we were kind of fumbling about a little bit, not quite knowing where to put this, this movie. I know, you know, it falls later in the alphabet. No fail in the early two thousands. I know it's a very political, very, visually stunning movie but let's go ahead and dig into our opening thoughts and grades for v for vendetta 
Sam, you're leading us off. All right. I, I'm really interested to see how this is going to go. Um, v for Vendetta was another one of those movies that I missed the first time around. Uh, I'd heard about the series. I knew it was originally published in the UK in Warrior Magazine. Uh, I'd seen issues laying in my uncle's comic book room uh, under the Vertigo imprint after the big DC revolution uh, brought a bunch of British writers and artists across the pond. Um, but once again, I never read it. It didn't look like something I wanted to check out. There were no superheroes, no tots. Yeah, I don't know. That's not me, right? At least at the time. But once I saw this movie, I was hooked. There is something about V for Vendetta that has a almost classic movie feel, I think. Uh, it has the, a modern sensibility, but the pacing is one that I often associate with classic cinema. Uh, we get nods to dystopian literature, a bit of Orwell, a dash of Huxley, all simmered in this soup from the brain of Alan Moore. So uh, for this viewing, for the show, I'm going to have to go A-plus for V for Vendetta. I really enjoyed it this time around. Okay. Um. <laughs> and I knew this would be divisive, but... <laughs> okay. Um. All right, here we go. Uh, this is a visually striking movie. Jump in. A lot of style. It's got a ton of style. And there are a couple of really, really great performances. But I don't like this movie. Um, I know that there's some of the some of the story beats that I don't like are straight out of the comic. But I don't love this comic either. <laughs> <laughs> Watchmen, this ain't. Um, some of the things that should have been changed, uh, removed, um, maybe just the context for some of the events, I think would have worked better for me. Also, this is a message movie, very highly political, very much of an era. Um, and I can roll with a message movie, but there is not one thing subtle. <laughs> in this movie. Um, it's not it's actually not as thoughtful as they think it is. This is this kind of feels like um, like a, like a couple of philosophy majors in their freshman year, uh, maybe partaking of substances in their dorm rooms. Got kind of level of discussion. Um, and the people they're mad at, I mean, it's just really ham-fisted and they're only fighting with straw men. These aren't like, this isn't any kind of a reasonable discussion. I also feel like they lose track of the story and the characters at different points. Um, I think the Wachowskis should have, go, I look, I did some research. They didn't go straight this movie like I thought they did. Maybe they should have. <laughs> I'm going C. I just, I don't care for this movie. Okay. All right. So where will Dwayne sit? <laughs> I'm sorry, Sammy. Oh, oh, no, that's that's okay. of honor for you, bro. Oh, that's all right. I knew, I knew, like I said, I knew when I wrote that down, I was like, mm, I know this ain't going to fly. But for me, it just hit me a certain way, uh, especially this viewing. So I'm interested to see what Dwayne does, though. Well, this is a very interesting discussion. It's a very interesting movie. I agree with both of my co-hosts. I agree with nearly everything that Jamie and nearly everything that Sam said. You know, this <laughs> is, it's really kind of overly preachy, overly, this is what we're trying to tell you. You know, let's, let's not, you know, 
let's not be subtle. Let's throw it right out here. But you know, it also has that old cinema feel. You know, it's it, the the pacing is is like a, you know, another reference to Count of Monte Cristo. You know, it's it's kind of that those those old beats going through there. It's really hard to watch at times some of the things that they deal with. You know, torturing poor little Natalie Portman. You know, I mean that you know that's tough. The uh, the uh, just just the hatred and bigotry is is really difficult. But you know. <clears throat> it's visually striking. It's visually stunning. They do have something to say, uh, even though sometimes it's a little bit overly stated. Uh, you know, the movie, I feel, may be about 30 minutes too long, possibly, but I, I, I still enjoy it. I enjoy the, the the message, you know, the what it's trying to tell you. You, you have to do something. Uh, and things can get out of hand. <sighs> I'm on a minus. Um, it's it's not an A plus. It's I don't think it's quite a C. Uh, I'm I'm going <laughs> to hard A minus because you know it's it's I love to watch this. It's a movie I often revisit, but but sometimes man, it it, it can be a bit of a slog to go through. I mean this this movie at face value should I mean it should have been made for me. I mean, if you've got a, like a, a distinct, like distinctive visual style, like you're halfway home with me. Yeah. Um, and it's got. <laughs> I don't want to put my. I don't want to get political on the show, but parts of this political message are right up my alley. Yeah. Should have appealed to me. Um, <laughs> but it it just, I don't know, it doesn't work. Um, and there's there's parts of it that I don't know, it just doesn't hold together. Um. Do you, is part of that because because to me essentially with this story basically coming about in the eighties, this is directly almost a, a a punch against Thatcher's England. Yeah. Uh, does that message still resonate today, though? You know, in the context that it is. You know, I mean that then that might be something to question. Yeah, and they, I mean. I don't want to be political on the show, but this was clearly part of those anti-Bush era stories that were being told at the time. This is this is very much a 2005 story, mm-hmm. and I don't know that it does work. That just substituting, you know, anti-Bush stuff for anti-Thatcher stuff. I don't know that it is a one-to-one mm-hmm. thing that works quite right. as well as they hoped it would. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me, and it, and it should. I mean, it really should. You got all, all the all the wordplay. I mean, I love wordplay and stuff like that. I mean, it just got some cool action scenes. Um, but my my pan though, when we get to the pan section, my pan is absolutely devastating. Um, yeah. Because because that one aspect doesn't work. I'm probably like you know being critical of stuff that I wouldn't otherwise. <laughs> well, Jamie, since you've already mentioned it, we can't have our pans without our fans. So let's go ahead and roll right in to what we love about V for So here we go. All right, so I'm first on the fan section, and this one is <laughs> another reason this movie should have worked for me. So I didn't, I didn't really care for this movie. It didn't work. 
But I love the cast in this movie. Um, I mean, virtually every single actor cast in this movie is right for their part, and they all knock it out of the park. Now, I don't always care for what they're being asked to do, and frequently I'm not quite sure it makes sense, but they're killing it. The performances are great, and I don't just mean the leads. I mean, Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman are obvious and notable examples. They're knocking it out of the park. But it's not just them. I mean, Stephen Fry is Dietrich. He is amazing. Roger, I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, Alam? Alam? No idea. As Prothero. That guy is smarmy, arrogant. I mean, he is perfectly unlikable. I mean, it's an amazing performance. Uh, especially the, the scene when he's in the shower watching himself. I mean, it's just an amazing performance. And even Stephen Rea as Detective Finch. I mean, they all blew me away with their performances. So that the casting director, I mean, the director and the writers may not have done exactly what I wanted from this story, but the casting director killed it. This was an entire series and, and not even just the main group, like even like small moments, like the, the lady who's, who's poisoned by V. I mean, she has like, she's, a, it's a small moment, but she's a ama- Every single actor nails it in this movie. Blows me away. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Do you, do you think it would have helped if Prothero collected dollies like he did in the comic? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but I that was an interesting character. And that dude just was chewing scenery. I mean, just over the top awesome. It was great. The voice of fate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> my fan is... You know, this movie addresses a truth. You know, we all have responsibility. You know, not like, so don't want to get political. But, you know, when you let a, a regime, you know, go crazy, you, you give up your liberties, you give up your rights. You know, we all have responsibility. This movie addresses that. And it makes you look that right in the face and how ugly both sides can be. <clears throat> and even V. He addresses himself. He he's lost sight of everything for twenty years. He had waited for that moment, um, and and he had become an extremist also. But uh, that's that's my fan is you know just how much the movie addresses uh, you know your your civic responsibility. All right, gentlemen. So I guess I'll finish this out on our uh, fan, um, and I think right away. You guys already know what I'm going to say. I love the Britishness of this film. Um, the Wachowskis and McTeague did what Constantine did not. They stuck closer to the source material and they still gave us British characters. Um, v stays true to that setting that Moore provides. Uh, and we have so many, I mean, Jamie, you alluded to it, so many great British actors, Sir John Hurt, Stephen Fry, Rupert Graves, Timothy Pickett Smith, you know, all these are, are really recognizable faces across the pond. Um, and we'll talk about my pan later, but each of them are seasoned actors of the stage. They've had roles on the big screen, on television, and they come full barrel on this movie and they bring some fantastic performances. 
so, you know, these were the type of actors that V for Vendetta needed to keep this story working, at least for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. I didn't think about that being juxtaposed with Constantine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, well, this is like Alan Moore part two because Moore created Constantine. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, he was he created Constantine while he was writing Swamp Thing. Wow, that's right. I had yeah. forgotten that. Yeah. All right, guys. We're going to go get our uh, eggies in a basket uh, in our pan and fry it up. Let's go ahead and move into our pans. That looked good, though. <laughs> it did look good, yeah. It did look good. There was some interesting... And, and th- th- she had not experienced it before, how, you know, even the food was being controlled, so it was so wild. But anyway, my pan, I'm not clear. I know it's kind of referenced a little bit in the movie, but it seems like one of those threads that they dropped. Did V have superpowers? Or was he just immune to the virus you know just regular guy who escaped what is the deal with V I know we never see his face it seems like he would be scarred I know there's a reference to no eyes I know we, we have you know when we do see he has the glasses and, and, and the fa- you know, the facial hair I mean is, is he a superhero is he a mutant is, or, or, or did they turn some gene on in the experiments is that is that in the comics Sam um, I, they just hint at the idea. Maybe it's just not even, it's, it's not even straightforward there to be honest. Oh, really? They just hint that there was some testing being done. Um, you know, but he does walk out of the fire and scream and, you know, flex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, know superhero. He, I know he hints at, at, you know, he, he is what they made him. And I know that there are statements, you know, saying that, that there is a secret in his blood, you know, for for what they were looking for. So I don't know if they turned something on or if or if he was already what it was, you know, what what situation was there. Mm-hmm. But that that's my opinion. Is that was that was kind of unclear. Or we're dealing with a superhero or just a really political zealot. Yeah, I think the political zealot's what matters. That's what they, yeah. they care most about. Or he just doesn't want everyone for it. Yeah. That's what they that that's what they focused on more at least. <laughs> All right, um, I think my pan is almost the inverse of my fan. Um, I've talked about a lot of actors that I recognize from from different television shows and and movies from from England that I've watched, but these are really not household names in America cinema. Uh, Natalie Portman is probably at this point was one of the most recognizable faces. I mean, we get Hugo Weaving's voice, but we really don't ever see Mr. Smith or Red Skull or Elrond. You know, we just hear his voice. Uh, so, I mean, he's not even that as recognizable if we would have seen him and be, oh, Mr. Smith kind of deal. Um, so I can see maybe how this wasn't something that drew a lot of people in. There's not a lot of recognizable faces for an American market, I don't think. This was, I mean, this probably was like peak Natalie Portman era, though. I mean, oh, yeah. All right. Yep. Well, that leads right into my pan. So, um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy the V-Evie relationship 
at all. It doesn't work for me. And I don't just mean after he tortures her into loving him or something. I don't know how that works. Um, but like from, from, the, from the word go, I mean, it's cool that he rescues her and all that jazz, but like, I don't buy their connection. Um, and I don't understand like why he wants a sidekick other than he was just lonely or something. But, but her, her draw toward him, I never buy it. I don't know if it's a chemistry issue between the actors uh, I'm not sure, but I never really get it. And the entire relationship seems to be some kind of like romantic thing, like this, like a ro- there's a romance of the whole thing to the Wachowskis. But at the whole thing from the second movie <laughs> begins to the end just seems profoundly unhealthy, uh, even before yeah. he tortures her. The whole the whole thing, and I don't I don't buy it. And, and I think the movie's presenting it as a good thing, as this thing that's. Um, a thing of a relationship that's honorable and healthy and good and it's inspiring. And for me, it's just like, <laughs> this is, I mean, whatever codependency or like whatever fancy psychology word you want to use, it's, you could probably fit it in there. This is not a, not a healthy relationship. And then he tortures her for who knows how long. There's all this awful stuff to her. And at the end, like she's in love with him and I just don't buy it. And I don't quite understand what I'm supposed to be getting out of that, that pair as a, as a relationship, I'm not sure what they're what they're telling me. What I'm supposed to be getting from them out of it, because it it feels like it's either something that's really unhealthy that I don't like, or I'm not getting it because it's unclear. And so that could just be something I'm missing, like a, like it could be a me thing, but I don't buy it. Okay, I was gonna say I'd always looked at this. You know, it is a it is a very unhealthy relationship. I I don't disagree with you there, but it's almost like they are mirror images of the other. And he sees something in her that reminds him of himself. And and he's putting her through the same gauntlet he went through to become stronger, to become, you know, because Evie in the, in the comic right from the get go is, is a little different than what we see from Natalie Portman here. Um, (laughs) And even her motivations are a little different um, I mean, it's been years since I've read the full thing. I've been going back and I've read the first two issues again, and I'm still kind of going through it. So I can't attest to where it goes from there. But I almost see them as, as sides of the coin. And it's almost like like they have this almost unhealthy relationship because they see something in each other that they connect to. Yeah. I mean, you really get almost a Stockholm syndrome kind of, mm-hmm. a, you know, grooming situation with, you know, really unhealthy abuse uh, mixed in there. And it seems like that he just found her at a spur of the moment on his way to blow up, you know, the statue, <clears throat> rescues her from the fingerman. And then he, you know, just seems to take an interest and and develop this weird thing. She she really seems at a loss as to who or what she is. She's just kind of rolling through life as as what's expected of her. And and when he and when he comes across her, I don't know if he says, "Oh, I you know she needs a purpose," or <clears throat> you know I can you know I can enlighten her as to, as to some bigger thing. But yeah, the relationship is entirely so sideways, and <clears throat> you know. It, Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman are both amazing, engaging actors. Um, I, I know there's probably a, a large age gap. Plus, also we don't get the the personal, you know, Hugo Weaving, you know, facial cues, you know, to to make that relationship meaningful there. 
So it's really difficult. That relationship is really difficult. I agree entirely. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think and I think I find that so confusing, but also disturbing. I'm so disturbed by their relationship that I can't enjoy the movie. Yeah. And so yeah. and because I'm not enjoying that, I'm nitpicking everything else around it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, entirely. And even was I mean, was was Hugo weaving in the suit the entire time? Or did he just do voiceover? You know, because I mean I mean, really there's no hint of his face vaguely when he's sitting on the bench talking to uh you know the detectives you know with the with the glasses and the beard it vaguely looks like him but you have no hint of of his appearance otherwise it's it's all a physicality yeah I, i've heard di- different things about how much hugo weaving was on set it was actually in the suit yeah, yeah. I've, I've i've heard various things too and and it really makes you really makes me wonder about that situation and and i and i'm sure that that hurt that relationship if if he wasn't on screen able to you know give give her that that hugo weaving treatment feedback you know yeah I, and i'm not criticizing natalie portman or hugo weaving either one they're both i mean doing master classes like when when she when she comes out of her cell and breaks down with him. It's just a masterclass. Oh, yeah. acting. I mean, Amazing. she is, yeah, it's mind blowing what she's doing, but it's disturbing and mm. troubling. And I, and I don't enjoy it. I find, <laughs> I find it very uncomfortable even to watch their, their interactions. And so, and I, and I think it just ruins the rest of the movie for me. Yeah. Yeah. Makes Fair it point. Makes it yeah. Okay, well, let's move to something that is a little enjoyable, and let's look at some uh, awards, some highlights that we may uh, think that have happened here. Nerd alert! <laughs> All right, I'm going to lead off on best performance, gentlemen, and for so many reasons, I have to go with Hugo Weaving as V. Um, just to deliver the lines in the cadence and the pace that Weaving has to do this, whether he was dubbing this or whether it was, was, was actually there either way. Um, that is some vocal gymnastics there. Um, and it's reflective of really the well-spoken and verse actor that he is. I do wish there were some outtakes somewhere because I would love to see those. Um, <laughs> that would but, be fun. I mean, can you only imagine? Uh, but I think beyond that, I think weaving helps us as a viewer to understand you know, whether we agree or disagree with V, how he is this revolutionary who goes too far, but all, there's also something sympathetic about him. And I think Weaving brings that to life really well. Yeah, and I'm going to go with the other half of that disturbing pair. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Natalie Portman, and, except when she's mooning over Chris Hemsworth. Um, I mean, <laughs> as long as that big lug's not on the set with her, she's an amazing actress. And she's awesome in this movie. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't always enjoy the situations that she's put in. But I mean, whatever they're, she's called upon to do for every scene she's in, she's absolutely stepping to the plate and Delivered. knocking it over the fence. I mean, every single time. And, and it's not just that. Well, the mean, the scene we already talked about where she comes out of the the cell. It's every moment like emotion is called for. I mean, she summons it. And delivers. So I I was, I mean, I I had forgotten how good she was in this movie. Mm Yeah. Guys, you missed the biggest star of the movie. John Hurt's mouth. (laughs) 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 On that big screen belittling the council there. 
That was some intense acting. Just just his entire just just the mouth. I, I do love that the guy who was in 1984 gets to switch sides though. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Entirely. Uh, and every time his big mug was on the screen, I was thinking that. Who's Big Brother now? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so for me, I'm going. I'm gonna. I'm up first on best scene, and I'm gonna go with the big confrontation between V and Creedy and the Fingerman. Um, also, Fingerman. Is there a worse nickname for henchmen in the history? Of- <laughs> <laughs> All of henchmen. Anyway, um, but that final confrontation. I mean. I, I wasn't super familiar with the guy who was playing Creedy, but that's probably his best scene. I mean, his his interaction with maybe Hugo Weaving uh, on on set, and then that sort of creative. I think that was the coolest fighting that whoever was wearing the mask at the time got to do. And I just, I mean, it was that was probably like the purest fun that there was in the movie. Was that was that moment? Yeah. Well, you completely stole mine. Uh, that was that was going to be mine. So I'll go a little bit sideways here. Uh, I loved seeing the populace take to the streets in the masks. Just the visualness uh, of just the, the, the dark robe and the mask. Uh, it was, you know, neat. Uh, some people were creating chaos with it. Some people were, you know, trying to do some good, playing around. Uh, but, you know, it caused confusion everywhere. You know, when finally the guards stood down. And, and let, you know, people do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Jamie, do you have something there you wanted to? No, I, I watched this movie with a, uh, <laughs> a person who had thoughts. <laughs> um, had very different thoughts than Sammy's articulated about that scene. So, I may have been doing it. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you when we're done. Okay. Now I'll tell right. you now. I was watching with my wife, and when they start taking <laughs> off their masks, she was furious. She's like, "Half these people are dead. What is this?" Yeah, yeah. That that was weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was weird, and, and that wasn't what I was referring to. You know, okay. To the, to the people standing up. You know, the people taking to the streets. The people coming out. Oh, okay, out I got you. You know, I wasn't I like, oh, you. these are the people that died in the, uh, you know, in the experiments or, or, you know, the little girl that got shot, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was weird. But, uh, you know, I was just talking about you know, the experience of, of them going en masse to, you know, to a purpose. Yeah. I, I, when those masks I, came off, she was angry. <laughs> I, I've got thoughts about that, but I don't want to say anything because it may take a quote. So okay, I'm going to um, go, Bessine. I love the reveal of the shadow gallery. Uh, as the camera pans on all of those pieces of art from classic paintings and sculpture, movie posters, to me, we get to see just the extent that Sutler and this regime has really done to replace the entire culture of a nation. You know, when we think of Europe, we think of this home of art and literature and, you know, Art is that creativity, that free thinking, and that is exactly what Sutler wants to erase. So, I mean, all under the guise of protection and security. And I just think that's such an awesome scene when, when you see all the stuff that, that V is, you know, kind of found in different places and liberated. 
And I mean, even the jukebox with the music. Yeah. I know. I was just like, wow. You know, that 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 scene is impactful, I think. No, oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely. All right. And I get to lead off on best character. And I'm going to name someone that we've already named. Miss Natalie Portman's portrayal of Evie. Uh, this young lady, uh, you know, finding her purpose through a very, very difficult situation, through through torture, Stockholm Syndrome, and all of that emotional baggage is going to entail, and becoming a, you know, a liberal skinhead. So I'm, I'm going with Natalie Portman as Evie. All right. Um, I think that I'm going to kind of echo... Dwayne's performance. Uh, Adam Sutler, the uh, figurehead despotic ruler of this thing, uh, played by Sir John Hurt. I mean, that was perfect casting. Um, and, and to juxtapose Sutler on the screen with the mouth to the character that we see during Creedy's betrayal who is fearful and knows that, that he's going to die essentially. Um, I just think that was kind of interesting and, and I love, and that character needed to be there. You know, you needed that foil for the revolutionary V with this basically, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's just a, a little figurehead despot that needed to be there. And I agree with Jamie. I put in here, I love the fact that, Hurt played Winston Smith in, in Orwell's 1984. And now he's got to be Big Brother. So, yeah. I love that. That was genius, Casey. Uh-huh. Um, so, for mine, I'm going to go with uh, British Commissioner Gordon, uh, Detective Finch. Um, <laughs> I just thought he was super interesting. Like, and, and it was really subtle and nuanced, like what he really thought about things and how he, and how he was playing the situation. And just how smart and clever he was about how he went about uh, what he was doing. I just I just found him to be really interesting. Like I'd watch the, like the you know the TV spinoff version with <laughs> just following him around solving cases. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then his I, partner was Lestrade. So I loved that too. <laughs> that didn't hurt. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, next up we have best quote in a movie full of quotes. Sam, what do you have, sir? All right. Gentlemen, say a little prayer for me, okay? Here we go. <laughs> Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanquished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta held as a votive not in vain for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. Verily, this vichyssois of verbiage veers most verbose. So let me simply add that it is my very good honor to meet you, and you may call me V. <laughs> I 
Bravo, my dear sir. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. Uh, I, believe, uh, I believe Sam just uh, won the show there and the internet <laughs> cooperated for a change. Yeah. I, I am so glad. I kept going, man, if this breaks, I got to go through this again. <laughs> no, that is the right answer. I wasn't brave enough to attempt it on the show. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yep. Sam, Sam, you're right, but you, neither, neither of us uh, are brave enough. So good job, dear sir. Job, dear sir. I've read this all day long. But okay, Betty Butter, you know, trying to get my lips going for it. No, but that and, and, and Hugo weaving with that voice. Yes. And the way he delivered it with just with just such verve, the only mm-hmm. V word he didn't use. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah, it was awesome. Um, mine was I went much simpler and probably more close to the um, the heart of the 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 thematic heart of the movie um people should not be afraid of their governments governments should be afraid of their people yeah that's another great one that's another mm-hmm. great one. and and that was on my that was on my short list uh, jamie uh, you know and like i said there's so many great quotes in this one and, and i'm going to go with another one i think is a true heart of the movie as well artists use lies to tell the truth while politicians use lies to cover up the truth you know, that's this, those, those viewpoints is so, so mm-hmm. great. I, th- those, I, I think we picked the top three. Um, those were the three I was looking at. I think Sammy chose the best one. I just couldn't do that. <laughs> I, yeah, I do have one honorable mention, though. Beneath this mask, there is more than flesh. Beneath this mask, there is an idea, Mr. Creedy, and ideas are bulletproof. Yeah, that's a good one, too. I like that one. Yeah. Good one, good one. Well, it's hard to say who they drafted to uh, fill in underneath that suit for Hugo Weaving, but I know what we're going to draft this episode. Best Movie Masks. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm really excited for this one, and because I get to lead off, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the right answer. The Best Movie Mask. The Best Mask in Cinema History. Clark Kent's Classes. <laughs> Complete disguise every time. You know, I used to mock that like viciously until that I saw the article like a thing where uh, oh, what's his name? I'm completely blanking on it. The guy's playing Superman now. Cavill, Henry Cavill. Yeah, Cavill went and, went outside the premiere of Superman just in the street clothes and stood outside. Nobody recognized him all day long. I'm like, man, the glasses do work. Yep. Yeah, it's it's amazing what small things can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, was really body clever. Language. Yeah, Christopher Reeves, you know, when he put those glasses on and changed that body language. Oh yeah, yeah. he yeah, was the best. Was, yeah, those 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 two little subtle things that you would never think about didn't change nothing about the appearance of his face or hair. Mm-hmm. Just posture and some spectacles. Okay. We're going like actual mask and not being as clever as Dwayne has. Um, <laughs> the best, the best full-on mask in the history of movies is Michael Myers and Halloween. Oh, I knew somebody yeah. picked that one. Most iconic, really yeah. Cool. iconic. Yeah. Shat- Shatner's never looked more scary. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, gentlemen, 
That was a good one. That was a good one. Okay. Um, since I know that the third Alan Moore film we will never be able to get past our family friendly uh, edict, I'm going Rorschach as my yeah, best movie great. mask. That's a great one. <laughs> Because that's probably the only way we're getting Rorschach on this show. (laughs) That's a really great one. Thanks, Dr. Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) And and the comedian. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm going, uh, I'm up uh, for the second round here. Um, I'm going to go another superhero, but this is a superhero family. I love the iconic Incredibles masks. Just the black circle adhered around the eyes. There's no straps, no other ties or anything. Just just that little thing. It's so iconic and it's so uh, you know such a callback to your heroes of of you know all time really. Uh, you know Green Lantern, Robin, you know all these great little characters. But I love those masks. This the visual those red black with the black mask yeah, I'm tempted to throw away my next pick for a joke <laughs> I'm gonna do it here we go number two go for it my second pick the Mike Myers mask from Baby Driver <laughs> <laughs> they were supposed to get the Michael Myers Mike mask Myers, they, got they got the Austin Powers mask <laughs> And the ensuing fight, and then the mall wearing Austin Powers mask. I love it. So yeah, Michael Myers number one, Mike Myers number two. That was there a clever. That was a clever <laughs> twist in that movie. A little funny thing there. <laughs> very nice, very nice. So I went with Rorschach for number one. I'm going to stick in the comic book realm, guys, because there is one comic book character's mask who is iconic and recognizable all over the world, and that's Spider-Man. And whether it's McGuire, Garfield, Holland, that look stands Spider the Ham. test of time. Yeah, Morales. yeah, you got it. It's it stands the test of time. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Well, round three, I'm going to wrap up with a, a very iconic mask that started a legend. Really took a character that had you know zero to no dialogue no real action and just made an entire franchise around we saw two seasons of already but boba fett that mandalorian mask from the empire strikes back is was so cool that's right i thought that's gonna be your number one man i could have laid money on that Because I almost did it. And that's like, nah, yeah. Dwayne's leading off. He'll take that one. Well, I, I had to get the Superman because I was afraid you were going to get it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I went with a joke on my second. So I'm going to go with a go with my heart on the third one. And I, I've, I've, I've thrown away this draft. There's no chance I'm going to win. <laughs> um, <laughs> number three, I'm going to go with the dead president's mask from Point Break. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that for me, I think I think it was through the age I saw it that that idea of robbing a bank with the president's mask and the and the uh, it's the way those robberies played out and that scene where Patrick Swayze looks back. And I think he's wearing the Reagan mask 
when he when he when he's being chased by Keanu, he, he looks back with the Reagan mask on. Just something about that was just really powerful and just. I think I was like 12 when I saw it. Like 12 year old Jamie thought that was the coolest thing you'd ever seen. So, yeah, the dead presidents from Point Break. Yeah, it was very clever. Use. I like it. I like it. All right, I guess for my last one, I'm going to leave the superhero realm behind, and I'm going to go with the Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. That is on my classic. That scene where the mask gets pulled off, whether it's the Hammer version or the Lon Chaney version, it's just so cool. Or Paul Stanley on Broadway. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, honorable mention time, guys. Also, that was a really good one. And that was the one I was waffling between. Like, what was the right answer versus <laughs> just going with what I really just wanted to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, so honorable mention. Dwayne, what is your first honorable mention? Well, I had a hard time uh, compiling this, and really my only other honorable mention, well, um, is, is going to go back to the Star Wars universe, but when you see Darth Vader come through that portal for the first time, you see that black mask, that black costume, you know, just how, you know, scary and intimidating that was, left, a, left almost as much of an impact as a Boba Fett. Yep. I'm going to go with uh, Ghostface from Scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a great look. Very iconic look. Yeah, and that was that was on my list of uh, kind of my short list after my biggies was Ghost Days. Um, Dwayne kind of took one of mine when he talked about the Incredibles masks because that classic Domino mask. Um, I think I wore it most as a kid when I was playing the Lone Ranger. Yeah, Lone Ranger Zorro. Yeah, who was that mask man? Right, so I just. Doug, those old Clayton Moore, J.C. Overhills, black and white shows. So, All right, so Dwayne, you said you were out, right? Yeah, I, I really uh, had, had a tough time with this one. Uh, uh, there was, uh, you know, I, I wanted to go, yeah, Darth Vader, Stormtroopers, you know, <laughs> all, 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 all Star Wars, uh, you know, and, uh, but, you know, one, one I do want to mention that, that had come to mind a little bit later, I didn't get to uh, really flesh out in my notes, but, uh, and, and it really is on my mind for the impact that it had on screen is the Iron Man mask, the way that it interacted uh, in that first Iron Man movie. Uh, mm-hmm. what, and what it did for you know the Marvel Universe and superhero movies in general. You know, it just, just made it kind of real. We can do this and make it what it is and, and it still be believable and real. Um, I've got I've only I've got two more. Um, and one it's not a great movie. It's not the Wachowski movie that's not one of their good ones. But the the Racer X look yeah. in Speed Racer yeah. was a really cool look. Yeah, that was very, very visual. Yeah, very cool. Well, if if we're talking about movie masks, I had to go with the mask. (laughs) Uh, Just, just the wooden part, not the, not the prosthetics, but just, just the actual wooden mask. You know that that was used to to put on his face and and before he got all green and stretchy. But yeah, I'm surprised nobody went for the Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's it's a, a pretty very, iconic mask. That's a very iconic mask. Yeah. I don't know who wore it best, though, Anthony Hopkins or uh, Steve Buscemi and Connor. Here. 
Alrighty, guys. Well, we just uh, we got finished talking about masks, and an actor we really hope never covers that beautiful mug with the mask is Keanu Reeves. Well, <clears throat> there's there's a really obvious thing here, but Jamie, where does Keanu connect to V for Vendetta? Okay, um, there's a couple of obvious options that I've already used, so I had to work a little harder. Um, and there are a few directors who are able to knock it out of the park on their first effort. And then some of them never reach those heights again. Sam Raimi on Evil Dead was a great debut. Quentin Tarantino on Reservoir Dogs. Wes Anderson with Bottle Rocket. Sam Mendes with American Beauty. George Miller with Mad Max. That was his first movie. Made it with like $3 and some duct tape. Um, Night of the Living Dead by Romero. And then there are some who make their best movie with their very first effort. Frank Darabont. His first movie was The Shawshank Redemption. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to top that. I don't know if he can. Um, James McTeague is one of these. I don't really care for this movie all that much, but it's still his best work as a director. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a pretty amazing career as a director. Variety of titles, but as the uh, uh, second unit director, assistant director, I think it's the same thing with just different productions, with different titles. Um, he worked on Dark City as assistant director, Attack of the Clones. I think he was second unit director on that. Speed Racer, No Escape, and the beloved Street Fighter. But most importantly, for our purposes on this episode, James McTeague was the first assistant director on all three Matrix trilogy movies, starring our beloved Keanu. So James McTeague is this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> Kaboom. All right. There you go. Good job. Good job. Good job. Well, <clears throat> that was our episode for V for Vendetta. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope uh, you enjoyed the movie. And, you know, the, the message there was trying to say a little bit deeper things. Um, Coming up next, we have one of Jamie's picks. So, Jamie, why don't you tell us what we're going to be reviewing next? Uh, we're on safer ground next week. We're on a, we're on a Christopher Nolan movie. I think everybody likes Christopher Nolan. Um, and also, we've talked about this movie before, and I know we all like it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we are watching The Prestige, the Nolan movie starring Batman outside of the cowl. So, um, yeah, magic, trickery. Amazing performances and great cast. All of the Nolan regulars. It's going to be a great time. You have a Batman versus the Wolverine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. And uh, this is available with a subscription. If you have Hulu, Epics, or Spectrum. Um, if not, you can drop a three ninety nine for a rental on it across the board, pretty much uh, anywhere from uh, Prime, Apple, Voodoo, Redbox. Uh, so check this movie out. Very, very worth your while. So as we prepare to watch The Prestige, Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to make sure we stay out of competitions with Christian Bale as we keep it nerdy. <laughs>